0: You're listening to a sermon from Pascoval Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website pvcc.org.au Thanks so much for having me join you all this morning. My name's Devon and yeah, like Margaret Felicity was saying before, I'm, I'm a pastor at a church in the city called Cross Culture. So today we're going to look at that passage that was just read for us before and in particular i want to focus on verses 7 to 24 because a couple of weeks ago we did look at jesus and how he interprets the sabbath so if you have your bibles keep them open and and we'll be going through this passage together let's pray um, father as we were singing um, open our eyes to see the wonderful things from your word amen um growing up in a Asian household, um, one of the characteristics that defined our family uh, was food. Um, food has played such a central role in our family life. Um, every night without fail, uh, my family would have dinner together in the evenings. Uh, that was compulsory. You we could not miss a family dinner together, that's just what we did. Um, Mum's way of showing love to me was piling my plate with food. That's how she loved me. And my way of showing love to my mum was making sure I ate all of that food and asked for seconds. That's the way you honour her. And then her way of um, showing me more love was packing my lunch with leftovers from the night before for lunch the next day. And then my way of showing her love was eating that lunch the next day. So there's kind of this vicious cycle of food. Um, I remember going to school as 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 a as a kid, and and all the other kids used to marvel at the lunch that I would bring. Um, all the other um, all my other friends would be eating peanut butter sandwiches, um, but here I had my fried rice and noodles and Malaysian curries, and you know, I just felt like such a spoiled child. Um, but it's not just our family because. Food plays such a central role in many cultures all around the world. Um, if you want to immerse yourself into a new culture, you have to embrace the food. This just how it works. Uh, food is the place of fellowship. Um, food is a place of relationship and celebration and belonging. And so food has always been central to community formation. Um, when you go to um, a restaurant or a, or a cafe, you can you can tell which people belong to each other, which groups belong to which by where they sit. Um, food defines our belonging, and um, you know you can maybe you know how awkward it is sometimes when you're piled into a, a busy restaurant and you have to sit with people you you, you don't know. You're squeezed next to them, and um, this is one of my favourite restaurants. It's a, a Vietnamese. Fur place in Springvale and, and it's so busy that you have to be squeezed next to people and even though I'm eating next to them, I don't know them I still feel the need to at least talk to them or say hello because it just seems like eating together builds some sort of relationship or belonging um, even if half the time they probably don't want to speak to me uh, but you see in the in the time of Jesus, food was incredibly significant as well and how you would eat together would say a lot about you and your sense of belonging. And so I wonder if you noticed that our passage today occurs during a meal, one big meal in in verse one. You see Jesus is dining in the house of a Pharisee, a religious leader of their day. Um, But I'm sure that as you read that passage, you would have picked up that this is probably the most awkward dinner conversation of all time. Luke says, you'll see that there, all the people there are watching Jesus carefully. They're trying to trap him as they eat. But they don't realize Jesus is doing the same thing. He's observing them as they're trying to trap him. And so as Jesus speaks, everything he says is going to revolve around eating and food. And so in this passage, Jesus reveals three factors about our our approach to eating That would reveal significant things about ourselves and our sense of belonging. So first, Jesus says, when you eat, it matters where you sit. Where you sit. Um, Because in verse 7, as as Jesus observes this dinner party, he notices how the people there are choosing where to sit, Tables back then weren't quite like the ones that we use today. Um, Guests would kind of sit in a kind of a U shape around the table where the the places of honor was nearest to the host who sat right in the middle. And of course, the Pharisee who was hosting this dinner was a person of great honor. So you'd want to sit as close to him as you could. Even today, it it still kind of matters where you sit, right? Um, At weddings... If you're sitting at the bridal table, you're special, you're, you're probably a groomsman or you're a bridesmaid, you're someone of honour, you're an honoured guest. Uh, but if at the wedding, you're sitting at the back of the room, um, if you're sitting right outside the speakers, um, you're sitting right near the bathrooms, uh, you probably figure maybe you're not as special. <laughs> and yeah, I've had my fair share of back room sittings in my life, that's for sure. So, with that in mind, Jesus says, verse 8, when you're invited to a wedding, he says, don't sit in the place of honor. Don't try and be at the bridal table. Because if someone lays it, who's more important than you, if they come, then you'll need to do a bit of a reshuffle. You'll have to give up your seat. All the other seats will be filled, and then you'll have to take the seat right outside the toilets. You'll have to take the worst seat in the table. Might not seem that bad, but remember, this is a culture where honor and shame are embedded into their identity. And so to be embarrassed in any social situation would be humiliating. Um, So Jesus says, humble yourself now or be humiliated. Um, But more than this, remember verse 7, Jesus is telling a parable. So Jesus' command here is more than just telling them how to sit at, the, at dinner, but he's saying where they sit functions as an illustration for their life. And here, where you eat reveals your self-understanding. It, it reveals what you think of yourself and where you belong. I wonder if you picked it that these guests at the dinner table, they assume that they are most to be honoured. After all, they are the most religious people. They're the moral compass of the nation. This is where they belong, near the head of the table. But in this parable, Jesus turns the tables. He literally turns the tables. He says, verse 10, when when you're invited, sit at the lowest place instead, so that when your host sees you, you you can get bumped up and you can be honoured by him. Do do, do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying God's kingdom is not like the world. In God's kingdom, honor and belonging is given, not grasped. It's given, not grasped. Um, The Bible tells us who to honor. Um, That we honor God. um, We honor our leaders. We honor our parents. We honor brothers and sisters. We honor everyone but ourselves. Because honor is given, not grasped. You see that in verse 11, he says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, um, for us, we may not be insisting on on taking the best spot at dinner. That's not really how we express um, that humility and exaltation. But I wonder, sometimes do you ever do things just for the sake of honor and recognition? I wonder if you've ever done something just for the sake of praise and honor of others. Um, I can think back um, to the time when I was compiling my very first CV, my very first resume. And um, I remember I was very tempted to take up leadership positions and do community work, even church work just so I could put it in my CV, just for the sake of recognition and and so I could get a job, not for the act of service itself. Um, or maybe sometimes you can relate to this. Um, maybe when you're at work, do you ever do things just to impress the boss? And maybe would you do the same things if, if your boss didn't take notice? Or maybe um, a good question to ask yourself is, in your life, um, whose opinion matters most to you? Whose opinion matters most to you at work or at home or amongst your friends? Um, I wondered, do you ever do things simply for their approval or their respect? So I think in, in sometimes in a more subtle way we can we can still be grasping for honour. And so Jesus says that grasping for honour in this life actually reflects our expectations of belonging and honour with God. Um, But in God's kingdom, the way to belong is completely different. The way to receive honour from God is to humble yourself, to assume nothing, to take the lowest place. It's, It's the nature of grace, isn't it, that the only way to receive grace from God is when you come empty-handed. The only thing that grace requires from you is that you come with nothing. And the most offensive thing that you can do to God is you, we come to him with, with things and expectations and assumptions that we have grasped with our own hands, like that we belong, uh, that we deserve to be and belong with God. That's why it matters a lot where you sit. Uh, but Jesus won't stop there because at this meal, he's just challenged the guests uh, but now he's going to challenge the host. And so he says, it's not just about where you sit, right? It's But when you eat, it also matters who you invite, who you invite. Um, because Jesus here, he's, Questioning the sincerity of the hospitality of this host. Um, In verse 12, he says to the Pharisee who invited him, He says, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or brothers or relatives or rich neighbors, lest they invite you in return and you would be repaid. But no, instead, Jesus says, verse 13, When when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay. So Jesus is asking us a question. He says, Think of all the people that you show hospitality and generosity towards. Are they always the same people? Are they always friends or relatives or people who can reciprocate and repay? Or do you ever extend hospitality towards those who cannot repay you? This is really challenging. Um, Now, Jesus is not saying that we have to stop inviting family and friends. But he's still challenging us. He's asking, do you only ever invite people like this? I mean, but why does this matter? I mean, why would Jesus care about who we show hospitality and generosity towards? Why does he care that we, that, that we extend this to the poor and the marginalized? Well, because these are the people to whom the kingdom of God belongs. That's why Jesus himself, he's gone out to to heal the crippled, to, to give sight to the blind, to free the oppressed. By Jesus doing these things, he's showing us who belongs to him, who belongs in his kingdom, and who should have a seat at the table. And so he says, to whom we extend hospitality and generosity reveals who we think Belongs in the kingdom of God. Um, it's a good way for us to evaluate our own spiritual health and our own relationship with God. And so he, he challenges us to think about the people we eat with the most. Um, do we only eat and, and share fellowship with people that we know and that we're close to? Uh, maybe we, we can even start thinking about our church. Um, I wonder where we normally, after church, who we normally talk to and who we normally chat to once church is done or where we sit. Um, Are you willing to um, approach and chat and and eat with people who you don't know so well or who may be new or visiting? Um, Would you be willing to talk to them and go to them? Um, You see, sometimes in these settings, it's even just so easy to just resort to our comfort and the familiar um, rather than extending fellowship um, to others. And it is a reflection of who we think belongs in the kingdom of God. Um, I love the approach of someone at my old church. Um, Whenever he, just before he would walk into church, every time he'd walk into church, just before he would pray, Um, And he would ask God to guide him of who he could sit next to, who he could talk with that week so that he could serve them and get to know them. Um, Why? Because he believed that the kingdom of God belongs to people he, he doesn't know that are unlike him as well. People that cannot repay him in terms of hospitality and generosity. And so Jesus is warning us that we need to be beware that our hearts are becoming comfortable and almost transactional, that we would only um, spend time and and fellowship with people like us and who can repay and reciprocate. Um, And so he's saying, beware that often, even with simple things just like eating and who we invite can be coming from a place of self-interest and comfort. But I want you to see that Jesus is going to raise the stakes even further Um, in verse 14. He says, who you invite really matters. Why? For when you invite those who cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Isn't this interesting? Jesus is saying, who you eat with now has eternal consequences. It has consequences for the end. He says the resurrection of the just when Jesus comes again. And so I think this is what Jesus has been alluding to all along, that eating isn't just a reflection of our hearts now. Eating now is an anticipation of the future. Um, remember, just a bit earlier in, in chapter 13, this is what Jesus said. He, he anticipated a meal involving people from all over, from, from east and, and west and north and south, who would recline at the table in the kingdom of God. That's the language he uses. And in the Bible, banquets and feasting is a common way to describe heaven. Heaven. Um, You see this in Isaiah 25 as Isaiah describes the new creation in the future. He describes heaven as a a feast of rich food. A feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. Do you get the point? Heaven is delicious. It's a meal. It's a celebration. It's a meal with rich food and fine wine and no high cholesterol. It's it's the perfect mix of everything we've always wanted. Heaven is eating. Heaven is sharing fellowship with God at our host. That's why this food imagery is all the way through. And so in this final section, we'll see that eating has huge consequences for our future. Just as it matters who you invite, just as it matters where you sit. Ultimately, we need to catch a vision of who will come, who will come. Um, So let's go back to this um, dinner banquet um, with Jesus. Jesus has just called out all the guests. He's challenged the host. um, And I imagine that at the table, It's been a really awkward silence as they eat together as Jesus has just rebuked all the people at the table. Uh, Very awkward 10 minutes probably. And so I think someone tries to break the ice and just break the silence in verse 15. And he says something strange. He says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. It's a strange thing to say at a table. Uh, This is what I think he's saying. I think he's saying, let's break the tension a little bit here because isn't it great that we all belong to the kingdom of God? That we're eating, that we're feasting because we are the ones who belong. Something pleasant to talk about, at least. Well, he thinks everyone will be there Except for Jesus, because they're trying to trap him, right? They think everyone will be there except for Jesus. But he has no idea that at the banquet feast in heaven, the person they've been trying to trap for the last hour or so, that person is actually the head of the table. The person they've been trying to trap at dinner is actually the most distinguished guest, and he is the host of the feast. And so Jesus will tell one final parable again about a meal. It's about a man who hosted a great banquet, uh, sent out the invites. And presumably as the guests are invited, they say that they will attend. Because um, customary in that culture is that when a banquet is ready, um, you, send, you send out a servant Um, to those who said they'd come, to let them know the food's ready. It's it's time to come and eat. But shockingly, when it's time for these guests to come, all the people who previously said they'd come, now come up with some of the worst excuses you'll ever hear. Um, In verse 18, the first one says, I can't come. Um, I bought a field, I have to see it. Really? So you're saying that you bought a piece of land, and you haven't even seen it yet. You didn't even inspect it. Um, again, in verse nineteen, um, another person come come because they bought five oxen and they need to examine them. It's the same thing, isn't it? It's like saying that um, I bought a car, but I can't remember if I bought a Toyota or if I bought a bought a Mazda. And so I can't come to dinner tonight because I need to check. It, 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 it's, it, it, it's it's insulting, isn't it? Um, the last person doesn't even try, doesn't even try and excuse himself. He just says, I, I'm married. Don't you know I'm married? I'm, I'm, I've got things to do with my wife tonight instead. Thank you very much. I'm not going to come. Doesn't even apologize. Um, I wonder if you've ever invited someone to um, dinner or to a meal before, Um, but maybe the excuse they gave was so silly that it was basically insulting. Um, I remember my friend, he kept saying that he couldn't come to things um, because it was his grandfather's birthday, which is fair enough. Um, Until we realized he kept using the same excuse over and over again, that it was his grandfather's birthday. And we were thinking... How many birthdays does this guy have a year? It's, it's always his grandfather's birthday every two months. N- no, some, sometimes excuses can be so pathetic that you just know they don't want to come. That's just the truth of it. Um, and here the, the host in, in verse 21 kind of catches that. And the host is rightfully angry at these excuses. But Remember, this is a time without refrigeration. So the food has to be eaten. It cannot be kept. So what does he do? He he sends the servant out again. This time to the streets and to the lanes. And now he brings in the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame. Remember, these are the sorts of people Jesus said for us to invite. Just a bit earlier in verse 13. Um, These are the people that can't afford land these are the people that can't afford oxen and many of whom would not be married but the servant goes to them the servant brings them in these people not originally invited but they are the ones who are willing to come but there's still room because the food must be eaten so the servant goes out again This time to the highways, the hedges, the the places beyond the city to invite them to come so the house may be filled. Do you see what's happening here? This parable about a banquet is foreshadowing what is happening around the dinner table. Because as Jesus eats with these people that are trying to trap him... They are actually the group making all the excuses. They are the ones assuming they will come, when in reality they have refused to come. The Jewish leaders were the ones who were invited to the meal, who Jesus had constantly called to repent. But they are the ones that refused. They made excuses. And so the gospel's gone out beyond them. It's it's gone to the edges of society. Jesus said back chapter 4 that he's been anointed to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives and sight to the blind. It's gone to them. And now the gospel's going to go to the Gentiles, the the people who aren't Jews, to the ends of the earth. Um, In chapter 2, Jesus says um, that um, it was prophesied that Jesus would be a light for revelation to the Gentiles, to the edges of the earth. So verse 24, Jesus says, None of the people originally invited shall taste my banquet. One you can see how this passage is coming together. Those who thought they were guaranteed a seat of the, at the table, a seat of honour... They are the ones that are excluded. Instead, the food is going to be eaten and shared by people you'd never expect. Um, It's what we see in our world today. the, The traditionally Christianized countries in the West, the ones that you'd assume would be there. They are the ones rejecting the gospel, actually. Um, While the church in many developing countries, the the church is exploding. People are coming to Christ in their millions. And maybe like the excuses that we see in this parable, it's all the comforts. It's all the, the prosperity. It's the property, the oxen, the relationships, all these things that are excluding us from the ultimate blessings of the gospel. I mean, isn't it still true that we can be using things like possessions or work or relationships to excuse ourselves from the banquet of the resurrection of the just? I wonder if you've ever had this attitude or you've seen it in others that um, maybe I will do what I want now. Um, I want to pursue my work or my possessions or I want to enjoy my retirement now. And maybe later, then I'll think about God. I want to do what I want now. Later, I want to do things for God. But don't forget, the the banquet is open now. The invitations have been sent out. This this meal will not be postponed. It will happen with you or without you. And so if you see that um, attitude in yourself... Be careful because often the longer we refuse this invitation to come to Jesus, the more likely that we actually harden our hearts away from God. Um, and we can't assume that it's so easy just like flicking a switch to soften our heart, our heart to God in the future and open ourselves to him. It's, it, it doesn't work like that. Because Jesus says the time to come is now. It cannot be delayed Um, Through this whole passage, Jesus has turned the tables. He's turned the tables on our position in the kingdom. He's turned the tables on who we extend fellowship to and ultimately who's going to be there at the end. And I think that we will be shocked to see who is there at the end at the heavenly banquet. There will be some people you always thought, you always assumed they would be there but they didn't show up. And there will be some people you thought would never come, people you thought would never become a Christian, and at the end you see them tasting the goodness of the heavenly banquet with Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, be very careful to assume who will be there. And I think for myself, I need to be very careful to blindly assume that I will be there. And so part of us, it should concern us. It should warn us because now's the time to come. And so Jesus is saying, if, if, if this scares you, then come. Come to me. Come with empty hands. It doesn't matter where you sit. Sit anywhere because this banquet is happening with you or without you. It cannot get postponed. And so while this parable should scare us and actually terrify us a little bit, Um, On the other hand, it should simultaneously excite you. It should excite you because I wonder if you've caught the vision of this passage. That the invitation is open to everyone. And anyone can come. It's the extent of Jesus' love for the world, isn't it? Jesus, who himself, he didn't sit at the position of honor. No, Jesus was willing to take the lowest place. He went to the cross of Calvary. He literally took the lowest seat so that we could be honored by him. Jesus is um, the the generous banquet of the host who invites all sorts of people. He invites the marginalized, the humble, the, 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 the poor. He extends generosity and grace to those who could never repay him. He doesn't want to be repaid. He wants to give grace. And Jesus is the host who today is still holding out his hands still holding out his hands of invitation to even the people who are most unlikely to come. And so I wonder if, um, are there people in your life who you think are beyond the reach of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Maybe people you think could never become a Christian. I want you to see here that we have been given an incredible mission. It's a mission of invitation. It's an invitation to share in the, in the joy and celebration with Jesus, to share in a meal with, uh, prepared by God himself that w- w- we don't deserve, but which he generously gives and invites and holds out his hands. And sure, as we go out and invite others to come and in, Sure there will be some that make excuses, that's okay. Sure there will be some that prefer to delay that decision, that's okay. But there will be some who come. And who those people are may surprise you. And so our role is to convince these people, maybe people that never dreamed of being invited or turning their mind to spiritual things, we need to encourage them that the most unlikely of people that the gospel was intended for them. That's what the passage is about, that they belong here. They belong to the kingdom of God. That's the mission that God set before us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask, like we, like we sang before, that you would open our eyes to catch this vision that you've laid before us, that belonging to your kingdom is completely different to the world. Firstly, Lord, help us to find belonging not through our own striving and grasping, but through the riches of your grace alone. And so, Lord, we come now to you empty-handed, clutching only at your generosity. And please, Lord, empower us for this mission, to bring the gospel to the most unlikely of people, people who never dreamed of being invited, so that we would reflect your radical love to the nations. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.